This episode of Bend the Knee is brought to you by Lady Cat of the Woodland Realm, whose words are, The fox is the difference between being wise and being crafty. Hello and welcome to Bend the Knee, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast. I am Sir Matt the Bud Knight. And I am Sir Ezra the Watchful. Welcome to our Song of Ice and Fire book club. Uh, today we are discussing uh, Chapter 8, Bran. Uh, we're in Game of Thrones. We also have a very uh, detailed Maester's study today. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking about um, the Roinar and, um, you know, Nymeria's Exodus. So. Yeah. That is going to be a lot of fun. Um, quick update. We have, uh, if you would like to call into the show, send us a raven, etc. We like to put this right at the front so everyone knows where it's at. Uh, we, have a, we have a new number. You can leave us a voicemail. Max of three minutes there. It's uh, 614-547-2350. And you can also send us an email at btkcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And we have some ravens today, too. We do. Yeah, and so we'll, stay tuned. Yeah, we'll be end. getting to that. So up first is a little segment we like to call the Small Council, uh, which is kind of some unscripted greetings here. Ezra, yeah. Sir Ezra, what, how you doing? What's been going on? Well, um, it's mowing season, so mm-hmm. I'm back to traveling back home to, to mow um, for my family. So I actually enjoy that. Mm-hmm. can listen to my audiobook while I do it, so that's been a lot of fun. Uh, I got a lot of reading. Been trying to catch up, stay ahead, all that good stuff. Read and reread, mm-hmm. as we do. So uh, that's about it. It's getting warmer here too, though. So happy yeah. about that. Winter's finally over. Is it? It's always <laughs> coming again, though. Yeah, in the kingdom of Ohio, where it is that we live, some days it will be winter, some days it will be summer. You never really know. True. True. Some that. days you get both in the same day. Yeah. Uh, one more thing before you fill us in on your life here. We. I'm really excited, though. We have been getting daily new likes on the Facebook page. Yes. We've been getting emails from people around the world. Mm-hmm. And I don't say that in a braggadocious way. It's super awesome and motivating and uh, adding to our knowledge every day. We have people who are doing like their dissertations on Gurr's work um, at like the like a master's level, et cetera, mm-hmm. you know, in college. So. Mm-hmm. So we're talking to people like that who are sharing information and it's just like super cool. So mm-hmm. humbled by that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, not a whole lot going on uh, in my life. Mostly just, uh, you know, working on this show, yeah. which is uh, really the greatest part of my day. Actually, when I get off work on Fridays, I'm like jamming out to yeah. the Game of Thrones theme and I'm like, I'm ready to get to work. And we did a ton of work this weekend. We did. did our first uh, mead meat or in cheese. Um, <laughs> we did. We did. I can still feel it in my stomach. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, yeah, was hef- it was a very hearty and hefty meal. Absolutely. So, yeah, stay tuned for that. And, uh, yeah, just more to come. But Yeah. Another quick update, too. We've uh, reached out to a printing company. We're going to have a uh, some really cool stuff coming with uh, tracks or printing. Yes. So. Looking forward to that. Stay tuned if you're a patron, uh, or even if you're disinterested in like you know, sure, some swag. Like that. Yeah. We have that kind of stuff coming. 
Absolutely. So, so okay, let's go ahead and head on over and check out some. Uh, this is the other segment segment of the small council, a little thing we like to call Gur Watch. Yes. Where we see what's going on with the show, what's going on with the books, things like that. So, first and foremost, there was a kind of joke promotional thing featuring Amelia, Amelia Clark. You know, um, they're like, she's like trying to get on the set of mm-hmm. yeah. uh, Game of Thrones and like bring people on. And it's really funny. And uh, I guess you can win two tickets to. Go on the set and see yeah lunch the show yeah, yeah stuff like yeah. that and then Kit Harrington comes on and you can tell he seems kind of uncomfortable by the by like the whole situation I think he's kind of playing it a little bit yeah. but I was watching Emergency Awesome and he was also saying like you can actually kind of tell Kit Harrington doesn't really do these kind of th- kinds of things right yeah because Kit Harrington is actually kind of a pretty like quiet mm-hmm. like personal yeah uh, kind Type of a guy yeah. so uh, just. Yeah, it was it. It's pretty funny, but what it says is that HBO is already starting to begin the promotional stuff for the next season. So um, keep in mind, Comic Con is coming up. Yeah. There'll be a lot oh, of yeah. stuff, a lot of stuff there. So that's kind of how it works. Is months before it comes out, you'll start to see the build up for the promotional stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that's exciting. Yeah, so uh, you know. Check out, you know, go find yourself a weirwood tree. Just make sure you're paying attention to everything going on because you never know what tiny little nugget of information, you know, might be uh, said in an interview or. Well, and we were actually talking in one of our last night, we were doing like our exclusive, our exclusive uh, monthly Patreon podcast. Mm -hmm. And during that, I was just like the hype for the next coming for this next year, calendar Mm -hmm. year is huge. The things that we could have dropping, you know, fire and blood. Um, you know, the new season and possibly uh, Winds of Winter. Mm-hmm. Just huge. There's yeah. so much stuff that could happen in the possibly next year. Possibly so. Winds of Winter. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm being optimistic. More optimistic than I yeah. ever have been on that book. But, yeah. So. Yeah, and I'll say that I think the funniest part of that uh, that promotional video is when uh, she takes you into, like, her trailer. Yeah. And there's, like, this shrine to Jason mm-hmm. Momoa, like, yeah. Cal Drogo. It's just <laughs> it's, uh, pretty funny. Um, so, other than that, Gurr now has not a blog on his own website yeah and he was talking about pbs actually just i saw this today on somebody on facebook mm-hmm. and then i went to Gurr's blog and saw this as well uh pbs is out to find america's most beloved novel yeah uh they've selected a hundred finalists and in the months to come i guess they're going to kind of whittle it down whittle it down whittle it down uh Gurr says it's a thunderdome for books a hundred novels enter one emerges oh of course God. it's all for fun and encouraging reading and conversation about books about fiction specifically and so they have this kind of big collage here of a lot of books and just looking in there you see like catch 22 the book thief mm-hmm. um hunt for, red, hunt for red october you know a lot of the classic shades Oh my gosh! Um, you know, uh, <laughs> how did Twilight? Is that Twilight? How did yeah, that is that there? Twilight? And I see in there. What a joke! Is you know, uh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. If you like it, Gone with the Wind. Um, I believe Lord of the Rings is in there. Sure, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, so Gur goes on to say, uh, and yes, if you squint at the poster, that's Game of Thrones. You see right in the middle of the fourth row from the top. It's a very eclectic list. Um, you got like Tom Clancy, you know, Ernest Hemingway, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. 
some other things like The Martian, he says. It's quite a list. Uh, I don't think Game of Thrones has a chance in seven hells of winning <laughs> the competition, but just being on the same list as Lord of the Rings, The Great Gatsby, Gone with the Wind, Great Expectations, Lonesome Dove, Catch-22, and Charlotte's Web blows my mind. Yeah. Those are favorites all. Towering masterpieces, books that changed my life. Um, and then he just goes on to kind of say, like, um, presumably one of the other uh, great offs. He just basically goes on to say, like, I'm glad to be on the list. Yeah. He also says, you know, I can't pretend to have read all those books on the list, but I'm going to tr- try to do my best to fill in the gaps in the months to come. Gert, do we really? Okay, Gert, come on really now, have man. To do that? Like, <laughs> you're we, okay. We know mm. you, you've, you're well read. Uh, yeah, and then he ends by saying, and remember, the reader lives a thousand lives before he dies. The man who never reads lives only one. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's huge. That's great. That's a great quote. I really like. I actually that. might take that and put that in my classroom. Yeah, it's a great quote. That's awesome. Yeah, and you know, um, we we read other things from time to time. Sure. Yeah. So as if you, if you just had, to, sir, as if you just had to take a guess, what do you think would win this? What's going to win this competition? What's going to win it? Win it? What? Win, win it? it? The reason I'm saying win is because now this is a quick glance. So I, I haven't seen everything that's on this yeah. list. Yeah, but Gone with the Wind is is yeah, uh, that's gonna be tough. Is up there, so I was like uh, thinking that might be the way people go. The get. Catcher in the Rye, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a classic. Da Vinci Code, Gatsby uh, is huge too. That might be what I think wins. Wait, it's also uh, some of these. These are the books that we're like teaching in school. So every mm-hmm. you know kid who goes through our K through twelve public education system has read you know those classics. Eye of the World is in there. Shut up! Are you serious? Yeah. Nice. Yes, it is. Wow. I don't, Robert yeah. Jordan, let's go. Yeah, we're fans of that as well. So, uh, yeah, quick yeah, quick guess here, I guess, for me. I'm probably going to say Great Gatsby wins it. I could see that win. That is kind of like a classic. It's also got mm-hmm. the movie thing. It's got, you know, some good yeah. some good movies and stuff like that. Charlotte's Web, you know. <laughs> Charlotte's <laughs> Web. It's a great story, man. It's a good story. It yeah, you sure. Yeah. Okay. So, That's okay. cool. Awesome. So that's what's going on there. So let's head on over to the Maester's Study. This is huge, and you just let me know when to pull up the maps and when to jump in where, because I, I am ready. With I'm kind of uh, going to let Sir Ezra kind of take this one over. Because you want me to? Yeah. Um, okay. I'm gonna. You pulled some some these quotes from the books that yeah, you have here. These are quotes from the uh, World of Ice and Fire book. Okay. Awesome. So this. What was the title of this, by the way? Was Ten thousand ships. Ten thousand ships. Okay. So essentially, you know, when, when you hear that um, Robert Baratheon is he's king of the Andals, king of the Roynar, mm-hmm. and he's king of the First Men. Um, so we've talked about the Andals, and we've talked about the First Men. Um, now we're going to talk about the Roynar, and basically their exodus from Essos to Westeros, mm-hmm. and how that, how that took place. So to start with the end and work back almost makes more sense sometimes, but maybe I, I'm not really sure how we want to do this because I, for me, I, I, that's where I went in my head. I was like, well, who the, the Roynar, mm-hmm. who the hell is that? You know, yeah, we had what to, is all, we that? had to pull up maps and kind of figure all this out because so yeah, you have the Andals who came over mm-hmm. from Andalus. Yeah. And you have the, the Roynar, mm-hmm. the, you know, the first men came over right. from, and all of those are a little bit more, Shrouded in like like the first bin um, coming across the arm right? right, and then you've got the Andals who which because of the rise 
of Valyria and and uh, the the power there. They, just I think this was last week we were talking about how the Andals were kind of wanting some protection from the Roinar, the, mm-hmm. from the Roinish. So they wanted the, those princes to kind of lend them some aid because what was happening when you look at a map. Um, and you look at the freehold there and where they were, uh, the Valerian Empire was kind of swinging up around in ships and coming up that western uh, coastline there where we know the free cities are now. And, um, you know, basically driving the Andals out to where they had to uh, cross the Narrow Sea. Right. And they eventually get the heck out of there. So once that happens, um, now we shift our focus to the Roinar. And to pull up a map here and just go over some of the the cities oh let's see here there's the roin arm so the roin is this map if you ever look at a map on of essos you'll see this bottom like peninsula where you have valyria and in different maps the doom of valyria it's not there so like when you look at a map of essos and you look at this peninsula that juts out down at the bottom sometimes you'll see it sometimes you won't depends on the time period that you're looking at because it has been destroyed um so that's that happens later, but for for now it's there. They've just sort of conquered, um, o, you know, Old Gis, right, and the the Giscari Empire, and so they've. Uh, I think we're going to cover that. We did mention it a little bit. There's not a whole lot there. Right. We'll mention more about their um, power and and you know, after the Roinar uh, have have left, but the Roin that that cuts through here, it kind of starts up in the northern like um, hills here mm-hmm. south of the axe and then west of um, the forest of co of cohor mm-hmm. and it, it kind of trickles down and it just follows the um, the river and they're not kings they're princes so each city has its own you know prince and as you look down here um, Nisar, uh arnoy sarmel yeah, like so. Sarhoi. Where so where the so where the Roinar would be by I guess today's standards mm-hmm. is, um, you know, you have the Upper Roinar, which is where Pe- uh, Bravos is, and um, like then you have it's called like the Little Roin here at the map. I believe we're both mm-hmm. looking at here. That's kind of close to where Pentos is. Yes, today. So, yeah, exactly. So 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 really, it's it's. Just beyond the free cities, so when you hit that western coastline of Essos, you know, you've got the Shivering Sea to the north and the Narrow Sea to the uh, west that kind of surround Essos. It's just inside. It's kind of like the inland, you know, I mm-hmm. guess it would be. In, and when you look at, like, when he, when you compare this to, like, Europe, it would be like, you know, like a like a Germany, you know, it would be sort of inside of Europe type of thing. Yeah, I got yeah, yeah. You, know, you know what I'm saying? Um, so anyways... The first conflict that we have in this chapter kind of goes over the the Roinish Wars. Um, you know, as the um, as Valyria kind of sp- uh, 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 spread, they were open, weren't they? The, I mean, it says that they mm-hmm. were open to you know um, the the Valyrians coming in. They're very accepting of them. Like you can come in, set up towns, and no big deal. So they attack and destroy, though. So eventually it gets to the point where um, they're expanding more and more and more. And um, where, it's, where they're expanding is a really super important part of the Roin. And it's at the mouth, right? Mm-hmm. It's at the mouth of the Roin um, as it uh, 
the basin or whatever, I guess, right? So where, where it, you know, kind of comes, empties out into um, uh, the sea. So you've got Volantis, which is right next to Sarhoy. Uh, I think I'm saying that right, I hope. Yeah. And um, so Volantis actually, that's a, the like neighboring cities, uh, attacks and destroys Sarhoy. Mm-hmm. And like this su- surprise attack um, and the Roinar declare war. Okay. Um, and I think they did that independently. I'm not really sure. Um, it, it seems like this, um, the idea of the, of the freehold of, of Valeria is just, I don't, I don't really know how it's structured, uh, yet in like terms of who's in charge of what, like did they, did they order Volantis to attack Sarway or, or what have you? I think it was more of right. just a, a business thing. They wanted its port and, and mm-hmm. et cetera. So, um, now that pisses off some of the other princes mm-hmm. because they were super chill and I'm kind of, I'm being pretty vague about this. If you have quotes from the book, you can pull up and we can read some of the quotes too, uh, which might lead more, give us some more details. But um, Garen the Great is the one who really gets ticked about this, one of the princes, and he leads an army of, you know, a quarter, I think it says a quarter of a million uh, troops, and they gather, and there's basically one person who says that they shouldn't do this, mm-hmm. and that's Nymeria. Mm-hmm. She says, hey, hold on, you know, this is too much. Uh, we need to stay together. They're, we're not ready for this. Essentially, just she just disagrees. But she's outnumbered, and so yeah, she too. says, yeah, uh, our princess Nymeria of Nysar spoke against him. This is a war we cannot hope to win, she warned, but the other princes shouted her down and pledged their swords to Garin. Even the warriors of her own, Nysar, were eager to fight, and Nymeria had no choice but to join the Great Alliance. The largest army the Essos had ever soon assembled at Choran? Under the command of Prince Garin, um, it was a quarter of a million strong. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And then they get pretty uh, thrashed, is... Yeah, actually, is, is well, what, en- what ends up what ends up happening. It, yeah, but not at first though. Right. So, so yeah. at first, you know, they actually defeat um, at the battle of um, th- they kill um, two dragons, and they are able to kind of win back. Um, I think it's taking place near this place called Sarmel, and then mm-hmm. um, yeah, Voluntaris or something mm-hmm. like that. But but anyways, what I thought was cool about this is that you have these river wizards. Yeah. Right. So that's kind of the Roinar's thing is they have like these like water river yes. kind of gods and power. Right. Mother Roin, you know, they, mm-hmm. they uh, protects them, takes care of them. Seems like they have the ability to um, have the river rise and flood. Um, there's water spouts that it could shoot up and sort of like extinguish, you know, the flames of a dragon or even just shield them. Mm-hmm. A lot of times they would wade if the warriors were facing a dragon and it was kind of outflanking them or something. They could wade into the Roin. And uh, be almost protected. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, right here uh, talks about just kind of what he did. Garen divided his enormous host into three parts. One marched down the east bank of the Rhoyne, one along the west, whilst a huge fleet of war galleys kept pace on the waters between sweeping the river clean of enemy ships. Um, At Selhorn, he won his first bat or Selhorse, excuse me. Um, mm-hmm. He won his first battle, overwhelming a Valyrian army, 30,000 strong, and taking the city by storm. Velasar met the same fate at uh, Volantheris. Mm-hmm. Garen found himself facing 100,000 er, foes, 100 war elephants, and three dragon lords. Here, he t- uh, two he prevailed, although at a great cost. Thousand burns, more, um, but thousands more sh- uh, sh- 
sheltered in the shallows of the river while their uh, wizards raised enormous water spouts against the foe's dragons, as you were kind of saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But ultimately what ends up happening is, and then the dragons came. Not three, as Prince Garen had faced at Volanthurus, but 300 or more, and uh, just tens of thousands burned, while others rushed to the uh, river, hoping to embrace the Mother Roin, who would offer them protection against the dragon flame, only to drown in their mother's embrace. Yeah. So, I mean, they're utterly, this is where you said earlier, they're utterly destroyed. So, you know, he goes from Garen to Garen the Great, basically, mm-hmm. after he wins these wars, uh, mm-hmm. a couple wars, and, and they're super pumped and mm-hmm. what have you. But Volantis um, is able to respond almost immediately with 300 dragons and thousands of ships and soldiers uh, kind of follow behind. So I don't even know that they... I really think when you look at what Nymeria was trying to say to the other princes and to Garen, um, it's Garen or Garen, whatever you want to yeah. say, um, that... We're just outmatched. Well, and also they've... they've Why? Like, at, at this point, maybe they, like... Like, Volantis and... Or, or Valeria is not necessarily uh, threatening them. I mean, they, they, they did attack... Right, and that does that does piss off. They attack Sarhoy, um, and so mm-hmm. they all rally and say, "We're going to march down there and take them out." Uh, you're you're marching south, sort of into their territory, almost like you you would have thought that they would have just shored up their own lands, maybe, and sort of said, "Okay, if this is happening, we need to set up defenses." I just wonder if they didn't know how powerful how powerful um, the freehold of, of Valeria was. Yeah, you know what I mean. Um, yeah, well, I mean, it also, like, if you look um, in the beginning of the chapter, it kind of talks just about the Roynish people and just how they're kind of different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it talks a lot about, like, they're, they're these freehold cities, art, music, they live in peace, um, you know, yeah. they're, they're river folk, uh, right, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. kind of kind of what it kind of what it says. Um, so maybe I just maybe that's. Maybe that's another reason they were outmatched is that you you wouldn't really consider them like trained warriors. Right, exactly. Yeah, they still had a powerful kind of like yeah. empire, but right. it was governed by multiple princes mm-hmm. and people and they had a council and right. stuff like that. So, And even the, even the Valyrians who, when we first kind of learned about them, they don't seem like, you know, it doesn't really seem like they're like these like warrior people, but then, you know, somewhere over time they decide to move on old Gis mm-hmm. and take it out. So right now they're like a military powerful mm-hmm. empire. So. Right. And that's where I was thinking, you know, the, the Roynar, do they not know that? Do they not right. realize what, I mean, it's almost like they're, they've awakened a sleeping giant, you right. know what I mean? Um, and if they would have just shored up their defenses, I mean, they, they had to have known because the Andals were seeking aid from, uh, you know, um, from, you right. know, the Valeria. Sheep. So, yeah. yeah. So there's that. Um, a couple of the things here. But it seems like it seems like the Andals mostly left just because they didn't like. It was almost like the, like a religious. It was like the the seven was you know at least part of their their reason for leaving. Yeah, for right. sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, let's see. Number one, two, three. We got through all that. Four is just they're making their 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 hold here. This is back at the at the war here and the and the defeat of Garen the Great. Um, you had said it um, next to Volantheris. They're they're kind of uh, that's where the battle really takes place north of mm-hmm. Volantis. Um, so way down at the Roin, you know, way down at the uh, close to the freehold. And then uh, Valeria sacks. Um, is it uh, Croyan? I think. Yeah. Uh, Croyan, but 
but Garen uh, curses the city and the invaders with grayscale. So where they first met in their in their great council was Croyane or however you say it. I think it's mm-hmm. Croyane or Croyan. I don't know. And uh, when when they meet there, that's where Nymeria kind of says, "Hey, you know, I disagree with you guys, but she had to send her troops and every you know boy that could hold a sword, um, every every able fighting man, you know, took up arms, right?" So they lost all of those men. Um, when they invade there, they actually take Garen um, and they put him in like this cage. Um, and they, they watch, he's, he has to watch his people suffer and die. They make him watch them, mm-hmm. you know, uh, they kill everybody. They go in there and they just annihilate them. I mean, there's mm-hmm. really no mercy uh, is what it seems like from the text. Um, and so while that's happening, he whispers this curse on on them. And actually, the greatest flood that they had had was out of it was an out of season flood. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any? I don't know if you have anything from the book on that, but out of season flood, and you know, uh, this fog and mist sort of roll in, and they um, it kills a lot of the Valyrians, you know, and they they get uh, grayscale. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where uh, that um, came from, right? Yeah, is is this. So you almost wonder if he he himself was maybe some type of uh, wizard or had practice in the arts or just, you know, maybe there is this Mother Roin, you know, goddess that he um, is praying to and, and worships and wants to kind of, um, you know, inflict some sort of revenge on, on them for killing the innocent. Right. Because they could have enslaved them, they could have done different things, and that would have been bad enough, but uh, they went in there and, uh, and, they, and they sacked the city, you mm-hmm. know, pretty hard. Mm-hmm. So, okay. And then after that, um, you've got, so while, while that's going on, um, the very, the, the Valerians kind of split their army. And, um, when they do that, when, the, when they split their army from Nysar, where Nymeria is, she is able to get any, like a rafts, boats, whatever you want, and get everybody onto, um, 10,000 ships. Yes. You know, and, and this is where the maesters come in and say, Maybe it was a thousand, right? You know, but it, what they do know is it was a significant number. You know, um, when you exaggerate, if if the if the exaggeration would have been one thousand ships, okay, then maybe it's a couple hundred. But since it was ten thousand, it was a significant amount of people that they were able to get um, out of you know um, the ruin, right? right? Yeah, and it says she took an old channel, I think. So she mm-hmm. actually let me pull up my other map here, and and right now it's probably a good time for us to plug. Um, yeah, our friend, our new best <laughs> friend. He's going to be our new best friend. <laughs> he doesn't know it yet. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't. But um, this guy, let's see if I can pull him up here. Um, what is his blog called? Uh, Atlas of Ice and Fire blog dot wordpress dot com. Yeah, it you guys need to check that insane. out. Insane. Yes, we were thinking about doing some of this work ourselves. It's already done. Thank. <laughs> you know. So thank uh, the old gods. Thank, those yes. are the ones I pray to. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Um, so he's able to, he kind of guided us through some of this. So we have the flight of the Roinar and um, kind of goes over what happens. So after the defeat of Garen the Great, Princess Nymeria of, um, of, of, of Nysar leads 10,000 of the Roinar into exile, 10,000 ships into exile. Um, let's see. They, are cro- they cross the Summer Sea and they might, they, I think they lose some ships along the right. way. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah, we, t- we talked about, about this a little bit when we did our, uh, last week in our cool connection. Right. Yeah. Yes, we did. We did. We did. 
Um, and so as they're as they're crossing this the, the summer sea, uh, they lose some ships, um, but they're able to take shelter on the basilic basilisk mm-hmm. uh, islands mm-hmm. isles there. Um, and so, so they kind of just hang out there for a while. Yeah, some more ships are destroyed. They talk about the diseases and the plagues that um, kill off a lot of her people, or or at least trouble them along the way. The reason they couldn't really find a home is. You know, they would go somewhere, and it would be like they're in a jungle at one point, and the and it's it's um, the water was bad for them, or or you know there was some insect that might have bitten some people and spread some disease, and so kind of reminds you of you know our own history and when people would move you know in the the uh, across mm-hmm. the Atlantic to here, they brought with them diseases that wiped out a lot of Native Americans, right, mm-hmm. uh, and things like that. So, uh, but anyways, so. After about 40 ships are destroyed, um, they are offered the Isle of Toads to settle on, which mm-hmm. I thought was kind of funny, um, as long as they send their children into slavery. And Nymeria, you know, re- she basically refuses that and says, heck no, we're out of here. Um, and then uh, and then, then they move over to uh, Nyth. Uh, they settle there. They're driven off by a plague. Uh, then they head over to the Summer Islands for a little bit. Uh, they settle there. Um, let's see. Uh, it was poor farming, I think, was the big thing. Remember it said that was very, like, stony and gravelly, and they really couldn't. There were a lot of people starved, um, and they really couldn't make a um, – that many people couldn't survive there right. on that. And I don't know that they were great sea fishing. I know that they were river folk, but maybe it was different just in, in how they were, um, you know, able to get food and stuff. So – so here we go. They eventually make their way across uh, the Summer Sea again, and they land on the coast of Dorne uh, near the sand ship, the seat of House Martell. Mm-hmm. Uh, Prince Morse uh, makes an alliance with Prin- uh, Princess Nymeria, giving her people a home in return for supporting his military. And so you imagine if there's 10,000 you know, um, people, and that's 1,000 ships, or is it 10,000 ships with that many more people on it? That's a lot right. of people. So, uh, it, you know go either way on that those young boys you know um had grown up right and so now they're able to hold a spear um a sword what have you and they also bring with them you know metalworking that the folk in dorn did not have yes and so they see this this advancement in technology and you know we can use their 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 smiths to help us you know increase our military might mm-hmm. uh, and he marries you know nymeria yeah. So and then, yeah, Nymeria. After that, um, she goes on to marry a couple more times. But the way Dornish, way it works in Dorn is you can have a female, you have a female ruler. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So well, after, she's the one who kind of like yeah establishes that establishes that. Yes. Right. Yeah. Because um, uh, she marries yeah Moore's Martell, mm-hmm. um, and then later marries Lord Uller of Hellholt, and then the third Sir she marries is Davos Dane. Yeah. Uh, that leads us into the uh, the House of Dane. And he was the Sword of the Morning, mm-hmm. which also um, the Sword of the Morning is just somebody that is kind of bestowed that in the family. It is mm-hmm. not It is not something that, you know, it's not like, well, Rob's, like Rob Stark, Bran Stark. It's not a line of succession. It mm-hmm. is just who's who's worthy of it. And I also find every time we talk, every time Sir Arthur Dane and the house and house Dane comes up, yeah. I always find it interesting that they have this ancestral sword 
right? Yeah. But it is not Valyrian steel. Mm-hmm. And I just always find that so interesting. Right, yes. It, 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 Especially considering it's... Sir Arthur Dane's probably the most, you know, B.A. swordsman in all of Westeros, yeah. like, at that time. Oh, yeah. I could be wrong, but isn't it, like, like Starfall or Star, Star, Starforge? Starfall. Starfall. Okay. I think, isn't it rumored that, like, they created that sword out of, like, a fallen yeah. star? Yeah. Or something like that? So, it's like so some, it could have some special... Yeah. Yeah, and I love their sigil, the House House Dane, where it's just like this. It's like a purple shield, and it's just got this like sword and the like a, a star, like mm-hmm. a star yeah. falling. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yep. So, so that's that's pretty cool. But yeah, there's uh, and there's a bunch of wars that happen there too. It kind of goes on to talk about the different uh, wars that t- that that take place. Nymeria's Ni- wars. So she's this warrior princess, mm-hmm. and we'll talk about that later, probably at another time. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of weave some of that back in there again um what's his name here uh atlas of ice and fire blog has some more maps on that too which is which is kind of neat if you want to see what it looks like down in in dorn and, and who it was who this holdout king that they had to you know fight against and things uh pretty neat actually really really kind of cool and she has like you said she marries three times and her eldest daughter is the one basically it's just her eldest is mm-hmm. uh, had it been a son it would have been her eldest son, but it was her eldest daughter is the one who is going to um, rule after her. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. I thought, I thought so. Yeah. So, okay. A little longer maester's study, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and again, I, we could have gone in more detail and actually really picked more uh, into this and made more connections. This one to kind of throw it out there and, and generally talk about yeah. it, I guess. I know. Now I just, now I just want to travel down this rabbit hole and we may have to, cause I just had a crazy, I just had a crazy theory pop in my head. Okay. okay. You know, I mean, you have to do it. We have princess Nymeria and then she marries into house, you know, Dane. Mm-hmm. And then obviously that's also the Martell kind of line is mm-hmm. kind of tied up into that. Yeah. Elia Martell, mm-hmm. you know, sword sword of the morning mm-hmm. great sword dawn so this yeah. idea of a star that falls mm-hmm. so and uh you know i'm just thinking here yeah but this the sword of the morning whole business here as right it's un it is the blade is as pill as as pale as milk glass unlike dark valyrian steel but is similar in strength and sharpness mm-hmm. um it is said that it was forged from a a uh, a falling star, mm-hmm. and so I'm just kind of thinking here. So when a star falls, right? What is that kind of signifying? It's kind of signifying night ending, right? So it's like okay. you know, star is falling. So what what happens when night ends? It brings forth light. Wow. I'm just I, yeah. <laughs> I just yeah. traveling down some dark rabbit holes yeah. here. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I like it. I like it. It's good stuff. Okay. Um. Yeah, the connections. It's so kind of cool to get the the historical piece and to see how all of these families mm-hmm. are because they all claim that in the series. They all mm-hmm. claim that they have blood of the first men or you know uh, Roynish blood or I know. what have you. So when they say that, now we kind of have a better understanding of of who who that is, and it makes more sense now as to why people in the north thought you know that Arya was naming her wolf Nymeria was kind of a weird thing because they didn't really yeah. care about. Uh, the Roynish or the idea that, you know, that's Dorn, right? Mm-hmm. But to her, it's just the idea that a girl can yeah. rule and a girl can, 
you know, a woman could be, uh, a pr- you know, a warrior princess. A warrior princess, yeah. You know, that kind of stuff. As opposed to, say, Where like, she's not really allowed to. Right, because there's, there's some Targaryen warrior, warrior princesses mm-hmm. yeah. um, that fight on dragons and stuff. But a lot of the, you know, I don't know, just a lot of... Oh, yeah. yeah just I, different. You, you can see why it's appealing. So, so yeah. it's cool. Okay, friends. We're ready. We are ready to get into the reread now. Um, and uh, this is our... our is this our first? It's our first brand? No, it's our second. It's our second brand chapter, yeah. Second brand chapter, so we're going to try to keep track of that. Um, in recap, um, last episode, uh, who were we talking about? Uh, the last, the, the, um, yeah, the last episode was Arya. It was Arya's chapter. Arya, okay. Yeah. And so in that, you know. Um, oh, I think I had it written Sansa here. And her, I think, I think, I think, her you, I think you deleted it on accident. Might have. That's Sorry. okay. That's okay. So, I was like, oh, I thought I wrote it in here. That's yeah. fine. Sir Ezra being a, Sir Ezra the Watchful. Uh, not so watchful. Not so watchful. Yeah. It's, it's okay. Uh, yeah. So we had Arya and the Mean Girls. Mm-hmm. And then she, uh, you know, making fun of her knitting or her stitching, I should say. And she just kind of decides to leave, even though she knows she can get in trouble from, uh, for it. But uh, so then she ends up kind of deciding she wants to go see what's going on in the yard because she thinks that there's going to be some fighting going on. And she gets out there and it's Bran and Tommen right. just kind of slapping each other with store <laughs> with swords. And then we get kind of a little um, pissing match, if you will, between uh, Rob and Joffrey about who would win if they're fighting with live steel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you who would win. Yeah. Rob. Probably. Okay, just gonna say it. Um, okay, cool. Yeah. So there's, and if uh, if you guys would like to provide the recap or the summary, uh, feel free to give us a call. Hit us up. We'll mm-hmm. let you guys do that. Thanks, Tiffany. By the way, for doing that earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Um, summary. Bran has been left behind while his older brother Rob joins the hunt. No one can find John. Sansa and Arya are girls, and Rickon just cries too much. <laughs> Bran is supposed to be saying goodbye to everyone in Winterfell because he, as we know, is. Uh, uh, heading um, south, but he can't. Find, he finds it too difficult. He's actually, I think, um, just kind of he he goes. He sees Hodor and and different people. He sees his pony, and he just gets a little upset. So he's just like, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. Um, and he starts climbing. Mm-hmm. All right. So we'll leave it there, and we'll fill in some of the details here as we go along. Um, first thing we've divided this into a couple. Uh, well, nope, just two parts. Uh, Brand climbs. And, yeah, this uh, this is a, this is another chapter where it it's there's there's some stuff that important things that happen, but it's a lot of like flavor text you kind of got to dig through. But in terms of just like what really happens, it's really just two parts. Bran climbs and then he finds something. Bran climbs and then Bran hears a conversation. Yeah. Um. So those are our two parts. So we'll start with Bran climbs, and as I mentioned, um, actually first thing Matt and I will pull out sort of our big, you know, connections for this week or yeah our biggest. Uh, um, takeaways from the chapter. We try to pull out like a line or, mm-hmm. you know, a, a short paragraph and, and talk about that. And the one that I have, I'll start with is the things I do for love. Wow. That's way at the end. I'm just saying, it's just, it's just, that's all I'm saying. Okay. I'm going to talk about it. It's just huge. Okay. The okay. things I do for love. Well, let me, here, let me pull out mine. He raced across the godswood, taking the long way around to avoid the pool where the heart tree grew. The heart tree had always frightened him. Trees ought not have eyes, Bran thought, or leaves that look like hands. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> also, I, yep. I, yeah, pretty, uh, pretty big. Pretty big, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, as I mentioned, you know, 
in this first part, um, Bran is going south. The reason he's going is so that he can sort of bridge this, you know, um, maybe this animosity between mm-hmm. um, his brother Rob and Prince Joffrey. Mm-hmm. So, and be friends maybe with uh, Joffrey and Tommen, and he's just a well-liked yeah. uh, young boy. So, I would imagine he would, and I, and I don't think I can remember it. Maybe I have to go back and find it. Um, was he promised a squire for anyone? Because that's probably what he would have done. Would have been somebody squire. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure he, he, he probably was. I know he obsesses over the idea of being in the King's Guard. That's yeah. a big piece of this. But chapter. I don't. I don't know. I can't remember if he was specific, if specifically they they mention anyone that he would squire for. Because I know yeah. they talk about Robin Aaron potentially squ- squiring for Tywin Lannister. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if they not that it matters. But just curious. Yeah, and I think that was going to be yeah with Robin. It was more of a. Um, Oh, what do they call that? Um, like a war, like a ward, ward yeah. yeah, or something. But um, so, anyways, he kind of goes over. We, we get a little more information here on Brandon, just what he's into. He wants, he loves the idea of knights. He knows everything there is to know about them. Mm-hmm. Um, he thinks they're cool. He wants to be a member of the King's Guard. Um, so you see the idea that since he knows he's not going to be. Lord of Winterfell, that he's most likely Rob would have, you know, kids before him and what have you and the and the first, you know, sons of the of the firstborn, etc. type of thing. He's looking for another way to be, you know, bring honor to his house and he he dreams of, of joining the King's Guard. Mm-hmm. And he goes over some of them actually. Uh, he mentions them here right out the get go. Um he talks about well old Nan. We need to do a thing with yeah. old Nan's tales for sure. Um but uh, Bran was going to be a knight himself someday, one of the king's guard. Old Nan said they were the finest swords in all the realm. There were only seven of them, and they wore white armor and had no wives or children, but lived only to serve the king. Bran knew all of their stories. Their names were like music to him. Serwin of the Mirror Shield, uh, Sir Raym, uh, Red Redwine, Redwine, uh, Prince Aemon the Dragon Knight, which actually there's a lot, there's a whole piece mm-hmm. on Sir Aemon the Dragon Knight and and the potential of um, bastards and Damon oh, yeah. the Good and all that oh, stuff. Yeah. Uh, we'll have to get into that later. Uh, the twins, um, you know, um, Sir Eric and uh, how do you say that? Sir Arik. Sir Arik, yeah, who had died on one another's swords hundreds of years ago when the brothers fought sisters in the war. Uh, when the brothers fought, um, fought sister in the war, the singers called the Dance of Dragons. Oh yeah, when the brothers fought sister. Yeah, it's kind of a weird way to say it. In the war, interesting. Well, I think that was they were on opposing sides of the right. Dance of Dragons, right? Yeah. Is that what that's saying? Yeah. So then you've got the White Bull, uh, Gerald Hightower, who's a boss. Yeah. Uh, Sir Arthur Dane, uh, the Sword of the Morning, and Barristan the Bold. Yeah, who's really a boss. Right. Yeah. Uh, we'll have to do a whole episode on the King's Guard sometime. That'd yeah, that's actually the, that's actually the cool connection for this week is the history kind of of the King's Guard. Cool. Okay. So we'll nice. get to, we'll get to that. But um, so anyways, so he's he's talking about uh, you know just uh, just the how he had seen the King's Guard come up and he wasn't really that impressed with I think uh, two of them. But then you know Jamie Lannister played like looks the part, but then mm-hmm. was basically said it said by Rob or someone that. He shouldn't even be in the King's Guard. Yeah, you know, he killed the last king. Yeah, he should. Yeah, he shouldn't count. An, he shouldn't count anymore. And then we have, uh, he says, he sees the greatest living knight was Sir Barristan Selmy, Barristan the Bold, the Lord Commander of the King's Guard. Mm-hmm. 
Father had promised that he would meet Sir Barristan when they reached King's Landing, and Bran had been marking the days on his wall, eager to depart to see a world he had only dreamed of and beginning a life he could scarcely imagine. Yeah, absolutely. So um, that's cool. We'll, I can't wait to do some more history on those guys and, and, and look into all of that. There's actually a book that uh, the Lord Commander keeps that comes into play later of all the stories and Sir mm-hmm. Duncan the Tall and their stories are written down in this book. And I think, you know, Bran actually mentions that later and we just hear about it uh, from, from Jamie too. Well, yeah, Jamie and Joffrey when Joffrey's, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, makes, yeah, is making fun of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, though, so his, his goal is this is the last day he's supposed to go around. There's a hunt. You know, he wasn't able to join in on the hunt. Uh, Rob was... Um, uh, I think uh, Uncle Benjamin, Jory, Theon Greyjoy, Sir Roderick. Yeah. Yep. They're all out on the hunt. Uh, Robert Baratheon loves loves to hunt. Mm-hmm. So, so there's that. And uh, he can't go, though. So he, you know, what, what are you going to do? He's supposed to be saying his goodbyes, but really just not feeling that, you know. And um, Rob's not there. John, nowhere to be found. Yeah. So John was really angry at people. Uh-huh. Yeah. John was just not in a good mood. And yeah. So... So he's not going to find him. He's he's brooding. Um, Arya, Sansa, who cares? Yeah, right? according to Bran. Right? Yeah, according to Bran. Yeah, they're just off doing. Yeah, they're doing their own thing. Right. Uh, and then Rickon was, you know, he's just younger, mm-hmm. you know, and so not not too fun to to play with. So so what's he do? He decides that it's time to climb. Mm-hmm. And he talks about his climb and basically how he's gotten in trouble, right, from time to time. Do you have yeah. Some notes on that. Uh, yeah, it's really funny here. Um, Oh, uh, oh well. He he talks he talks about why why it's fun to climb, but I want to I want to see if I if I can maybe I didn't highlight, but basically he gets in trouble, and uh, just talking about how his uh, Catelyn's always yelling at him not to climb. So they tried everything. Maester Lewin once like made a, a doll out of clay and like threw it out the window and said that it's what'll happen. Mm, yeah. That's what'll happen if if you do that. And he says, well, I'm not made of clay. And right. then the best part is when um, Lord Eddard commands him to sleep in the uh in the gods in like in the in right and uh brand they find when they they go out in the morning to find brand he's like high up in a sentinel tree and he he kind of laughs and he's like you're no son of mine you're a squirrel yeah and he's like well all right well if you must climb just don't let your you know don't let your mom see you right yeah yeah that's pretty neat actually so uh now there was a part you were reading earlier from your your connection about and it's coming up here where he kind of knows his way around. He does Winterfell more than maybe uh, Maester Lewin and 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 others. Mm-hmm. Secret passageways, almost sounds like. He, uh, yeah, let me see here. Uh, he's just—it's interesting, and you know we'll talk about this, you know, much much later. This this idea that of Bran kind of being able to notice things, see things. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's uh, here's a line here. Uh, when he got out from under it he and scrambled up near the sky, Bran could see all of Winterfell in a glance. He liked the way it looked spread out beneath him. Only birds wheeling over his head while all the life of the castle went on below. Bran could perch for hours among the shapeless, uh, rain-worn gargoyles that brooded over the first keep watching it all. The men drilling with wood and steel in the yard, the cooks tending their vegetables in the glass garden, restless dogs running back and forth in the kennels, the si- Silence of the godswood, the girls gossiping besides the washing well. It made him feel like he was lord of the castle in a way even Rob would never know. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of interesting that if for Bran, it's kind of like you're know, just observing things. This idea, this idea I, I just kind of find it interesting. Uh, oh, yeah. Potential he, foreshadow of just like looking and seeing things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he goes on to kind of to give us more description and, and it talks about how uh, it taught him uh, Winterfell's mm-hmm. secrets. 
You know, builders had not even uh, leveled the earth. There were hills and valleys behind the walls of Winterfell. So uh, just goes into more more detail and things about uh, uh, different tunnels and passageways and things like that that even Mr. That even Maester uh, Lewin didn't know that Bran mm-hmm. was convinced. There's actually some I've uh, talking Thrones and watching a bunch of things about the upcoming season, and a big theory is that if a battle, say, does take place at Winterfell, Bran is going to be able to tell people, "Hey, there's like secret tunnels these ways and these ways, and you can potentially get out of the castle if the castle is sieged by the Night King." Mm-hmm. That's some theories, of course, but right, yeah. that's cool. Um, so then they kind of go on, and he talks about he starts talking about the crows. And he's talking about like spe- this like specific towers and where he likes to go climb so you can see everything. Uh, there's a broken tower that uh, Lord Eddard would make like people go clean out and things like that. There were crows' nests atop the broken tower where no one ever went but him. And sometimes he filled his pockets with corn before he climbed up, and the crows ate it right out of his hand. None of them had ever shown the slightest bit of interest in pecking out his eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because old Dan had told him that tale, right? Mm-hmm. You know that's yeah. um, which again I find very interesting foreshadowing right yeah uh that a boy had fallen and that a crow was picking out his eyes right Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah Uh, and they come back at the end and and yeah and he becomes kind of he kind of befriends the crows yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) yep pretty interesting (laughs) yeah pretty interesting yeah Yeah. uh okay so let's see what else we have here um you'd already kind of talked about the different things that they had done to to scare him off so we'll kind of skip past that um, and we are in the climb. One thing that was interesting to me was that his direwolf, who is unnamed right now, right now, yeah, hadn't come up with a name yet, um, was very anxious when he started to climb. Mm-hmm. And because actually he starts climbing, and then he tells us, you know, we get sort of a backstory on his climbing ability and what has happened, and you know why he's so good at it. So, but uh, at the beginning of the chapter, he starts his climb. And his dire wolf is howling and anxious and pawing at the ground. And, yeah. you know, and then he would stop and then the dire wolf would stop. And then every time he would move, move on, there's another howl, almost like a mm-hmm. warning, right? Yeah. Stop climbing as if the dire wolf knew no. what was going to happen. Right. And it's possible. Absolutely. Yeah. They're magical mm-hmm. creatures. Yeah. Um, so anyways, so yeah, it just describes him uh, climbing up the, the, the wall. Um, talks about his favorite... Um, uh, his favorite places. Let's see. All right. The best way to start. Um, the best way was to start from the Godswood, shinning up the tall Sentinel and cross over the armory and the guards hall, leaping roof to roof, barefoot so the guards wouldn't hear you over overhead. So him talking more about just trying to avoid, um, you know, the guards and not getting caught. Right. And he says something interesting too that people don't really look up. You know. Mm-hmm. So. Um, that's sort of a cool thing. He's he's up there and he, he notices that people don't ever really look up. They're just real, you know, um, engrossed in what's going on at the ground level. Right. Okay. Um, so then, let's see. He keeps going up there. He's I just kind of describes the gargoyles and mm-hmm. uh, more of the wall and and how it just kind of shows that he is a good climber. It, right. It, yeah. You know, talks about where he puts his hands and. How careful he is as he moves around. Yeah, and then uh, after that, he starts hearing some voices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's when we get into our conversation. So Bran hears a conversation, um, and he kind of uh, stops, and and uh, we hear basically a, a woman and a man talking about, um, you know, 
his father. His father becoming Hand of the King. Right, and it should be given to you. Um, and so they kind of go back and forth. We get some, basically we get some uh, um, inner dialogues, or we get some, uh, we get the motivations, I guess, behind, you know, Cersei and what she what she wanted to have happen um, with that Hand of the King position and why she's so anxious that um that Ned has it because basically she um is talking to Jamie she wanted Jamie to have that um that spot so it's actually Cersei and Jamie Lannister who are up there and if you've seen the show you know that and um he hears them talking about his dad and also surprised that um that Lysa Aaron is not there too yeah so I think Bran realizes that this yeah, she's is like she's, she says it's like not here to, uh, with her accusations mm-hmm. yeah which is interesting that she would say that because that means perhaps she's made accusations before. Right. Um, which you might not have thought that, you know, who did, you know, these accusations never must have reached Robert. Right. right. Um, even John Aaron himself, if he made those to, um, to Lysa and then she is one of like an, like an attending lady, uh, and, and mentions it to another one, another one of her friends, uh, you can see how that would get back to Cersei because later on in the book, that happens quite often. You know, when someone's talking to another one of the ladies, she's got spies and ears and eyes right. everywhere. Um, and actually, I think it could have been uh, through Lysa that yeah. uh, John Aaron is killed. He probably confided in her um, and she let it slip. Yeah. is honestly what I think happened. Because um, who would he have brought this to um, that would have wanted to kill him? Right, you know what I mean. It, 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 he didn't. It did not reach Robert Baratheon's ears, and it didn't reach any of the other um, his brothers. Right. Um, right. Maybe Littlefinger. He could have said something to, to Littlefinger or Varys, and mm-hmm. maybe they um, mentioned it. But you know, just kind of interesting to think about, right? Okay, so we'll read some of this here. Um, they were talking about father. Bran realized he wanted to hear more, a few more feet. They would they would see him if he swung out uh, in front of the window. So he's trying to figure out how to maneuver uh, around to, to get a better uh, glimpse here. We will have to watch him carefully, the woman said. Um, I would sooner watch you, the man said. Come back here. And then she says, Lord Eddard has never taken any interest in anything that happened south of the neck, the woman said. Never, I tell you. He means to move against us. Why else would he leave the seat, his uh, this seat of power? And uh, then Jamie gives him, you know, a bunch of reasons. Uh, duty, honor, you know, to get away from his wife, uh, to be warm again. Yeah. Um, just kind of mocking uh, Ned and, and, and the North. And so, and that's where you had mentioned that Lysa, you know, isn't there with, with her accusations. Um, let's see. Yeah. Then they're, they're start talking about like that frightened cow shared everything with John, or shared John Aaron's bed, and then uh, if she knew anything, she would have gone to Robert before she had fled King's Landing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, when he had already agreed to foster that weakling son of hers at Castle Rock, I think not. She knew the boy's life would be held hostage, um, so she may grow bolder even now that she's safe atop the Eyrie. And then you hear a man start making fun of mothers. I think birthing does something to you. You're all crazy. Mm-hmm. And Jamie's not really super interested in Cersei's com- uh, what Cersei's trying to tell him. He's interested in other things. Other things, yeah. Mm-hmm. And yep. uh, um, Cersei's, you know, and then that's what basically Cersei's trying to say. Hey, we need to like figure this out, think this out. And Jamie's a little more con- 
preoccupied. Right. And that might have been how their meeting started. Maybe they wanted to have a secret meeting where they talk about this and what should we do. Right. Um, but then it turns into something more, you know. Right. So, um, and interesting that uh, I wonder which of the King's Guards went with Robert Baratheon, you know. Um, well, it probably would have embarrassed and sell me. Well, he's 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 not. Um, it's Sir Marin Trent Trout, uh, yeah. is, is there and the other guy, I can't remember um, who, who that was. But those two go, I'm guessing, right? And then Jamie stays behind so it seems yeah. like he's he's given a lot more you know, freedoms or yeah liberties. i don't know I yeah. it just doesn't feel like he's maybe maybe robert doesn't even want him there and right. so he's just gotta you know he's able just to to stay back with his sister yeah so because Tyrion did go yeah right mm-hmm. so Tyrion did go on the hunt yeah and then uh so she has a pretty interesting line here how long till he decides to put me aside for some new liana well, at this point, you've been married for how long? You know, like what, sixteen mm-hmm. years oh, yeah. or something? You know, something, something like that. So I can't imagine that, or fourteen years or something like that. So I can't imagine that. I don't. I couldn't imagine that he would. Mm-hmm. No, me neither. I mean, he's interested in. Um, it's that was his who he was betrothed to. That's who he started a war over. So right. there's no one else who's going to come along that's that's going to replace her. Yeah, you know, and that wouldn't be enough to break up a kingdom over, right? You know, so I think later on you see the nice little conversation between them about how their marriage is what has kept the peace, you know, in the seven kingdoms, and how ridiculous that is uh, to both of them. But uh, but yeah, she just worries so much, and Jamie kind of you know tells her that you know that uh, giving birth right has kind of made you crazy, you know. Yeah. Um. So. And he says that you know you should you should think less about the future and more at the pleasures of about the pleasures at hand, um, and so you know he's trying to to get with her and Bran is super scared at this point. He's yeah. like, I know what's going on. I know who these people are. I think maybe not necessarily. Um, well, I don't think he knows what's what what's going on because he's like he thinks he's hurting her and oh no, not that. Yeah. But, but he 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 knows that. They're, they're talking conspiring about, about my father, yeah. Right, exactly. And so, because he has this desire to go back to his brothers. But he wants to see who they are. He wants to see exactly more. who they are, yeah. And he needs to know who they are. Because just to say that isn't really going to do. And he's that close, too. And so he actually, like, hangs upside down on this gargoyle and does, like, a, which, you know, you didn't really get that in the show, right? You get this, like, yeah. like he kind of shimmies up upwards and uses his feet and, and hangs um, down, looking upside down into the window. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of a neat, neat little thing that I kind of forgot happened, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, he, uh, he says inside the room, a man and a woman were wrestling. <laughs> they were both naked. He couldn't tell who they were. Um, and then I believe he says he sees her face. Uh, it was the queen. He recognized them. And the man beside her. Uh, then she says he saw us, so he did. The man said, and then Bran starts to slip, and um, he kind of like catches himself, and then Jamie picks him up, and he says, "How old are you, boy?" Bran says, seven. and he just looks at Cersei and says, "The things I do for love," pushes him. Bran falls because there's nothing to grab onto, and then somewhere off in the distance, a wolf was howling. Crows circled the broken tower waiting for corn. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's how it ends. Right. And the things I do for love, that's a that's sort of a, a reoccurring, you know, theme in this uh series. Yeah. The things that uh, Ned Stark will do for love of family, you know, what Jamie does 
you know, I mean, puts the, you know, kingdoms in his house in jeopardy just by loving his sister and, and stuff like that. So, um, there's other things, I mean, examples. That, that's Cersei. I mean, everything Cersei does is for the love, you know, the love of her family, love mm-hmm. her children. Yeah. Yep. So, so, so kind of neat thing to, to, to think about. And Jamie evolves. So he's a character right now that, uh, you know, we were, I don't know. He seems like, I don't think and they, they, they did a good job of it in the, in the show. I thought like he doesn't necessarily want to seemingly push brand out the window, right. but is almost convinced by his sister to do it. Yeah. You know, and in this, it's just like, he kind of knows he has to, um, less, maybe there was some other body language and stuff that we didn't see, but then boom, out right. the window. So, yeah. And that's something we'll get to when we do our, uh, actually this, is the end of episode one. So we will, uh, we'll be doing our comparison about that coming, uh, shortly. So, um, we'll talk about the differences, the differences there, but yeah, I mean, so really this chapter, um, you do, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's a fluff chapter cause everything Gert writes is super important. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, this is the second POV chapter. This mm-hmm. is the first character who gets a second POV, which is, you know, so that's, so there for a while, maybe you think brands, the main character. Mm-hmm. interesting yeah um but yeah so you just start to see you start to see the bigger plot i guess of the first book starting to unwind here it's like okay so now you know we got the we got the message you know with the false bottom and now we're seeing okay ned stark's gonna be riding south the family's splitting up and now we know oh it seems like maybe these the lannisters who mm-hmm. you know they're fighting with uh we see rob and joffrey sparring and you can Mm -hmm. tell they don't like each other right and so you can start to tell now at this point okay i see like where this is potentially going this is not going to end well yeah the lannisters yeah like right are the bad guys Mm -hmm. you know like you kind of immediately think they're not good uh rumors are you know uh, drifting north that they've done bad things and then you see a brother and a sister hooking up and it's just all, you know, right. indicates that this is, that this is bad. And so it starts to seem very, you know, um, this side versus that side. And he does such a good job from this point forward of, of muddying all of that water. Yeah, absolutely. Know? So well, that's why I think it's, that's why I think it's great that the next chapter is Tyrion mm-hmm. to immediate, yeah. to immediately kind of say, okay, maybe the, and we already, we've already had one conversation with Tyrion. Mm-hmm. Where John's having his conversation with Tyrion, and so you can kind of see, okay, so maybe all the Lannisters aren't bad, and I think that's that's Gurr's writing style. He says he does not like to write black or white characters; he wants every character to be gray. You get mm-hmm. to see. I wonder if anybody's asked. I, I don't, there probably is an answer to this: is does he write, uh, you know, Tyrion straight through, and then Bran straight through, or does he do a back and forth? You know, I, what I don't mean? know. He probably has an outline, uh, you know, of, of how everything's going to go. Yeah. You know, well, there, I was I was reading points. on I was reading on a Reddit, and they said a really interesting way to reread this is to say read all of like the POV chapters mm-hmm. in a row. So read, read all the brand POV chapters, read all of them, and I think that works for some characters. I don't know if it would work for all. Like John, I think it works really well because, especially in the first book, because it's just kind of him going off to the wall, mm-hmm. and you don't really get a lot of other POV chapters um, from other characters. But so. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, because yeah, you've got the characters who and that, would that be for the whole series yeah, it, or, for, or for the book? I think this person did it for the whole series. Wow, you know oh, that's crazy. Yeah, 
Yeah, that, that's interesting though. I mean, once you've read it, and you know what what else is happening. Right. Or, yeah, I wouldn't. I, would, I wouldn't right. recommend reading that the first thing because so much of the, I mean, you know, you'd miss out on this huge Tyrion part that's in John's chapter. You know, if right. you just read Tyrion straight right. through. So. Yep. Yep. Good point. Okay. Cool. Um. So that's it for the reread this week. Um. We are on to some cool connections for this chapter. And what do you got, Matt? Yeah, so this week we're going to take a look kind of at the Kingsguard. So we've heard a little bit about them. Jamie Lannister in the Kingsguard and Bran wants to be in the Kingsguard. Talk about Barristan the Selmy and things like that. So the Kingsguard are poetic, are known poetically as the White Swords or White Cloaks. They are the royal bodyguards of the Iron Throne, regarded as the finest knights in the Seven Kingdoms. They are sworn to protect their king and the royal family with their own lives, to obey his commands, and to keep his secrets. Mm-hmm. The Kingsguard are sworn for life. That's some air quotes there. Mm-hmm. And are forbidden from owning land, taking a wife, or fathering children. Although they can have non-hereditary commands, such as being warden or hand of the king. Mm-hmm. So you can be in the Kingsguard and be on hand of the king. And some monarchs, such as Queen uh, Rahenra Targaryen, have operated with a Queen's Guard instead of a King's Guard. Uh, the King's Guard is supposed to be seven men. All of them are sworn knights. A King's Guard serves for life, regardless of age or fi- uh, or any physical or mental ailments. So it's kind of like the Supreme Court in the United States. Mm-hmm. You, you get the job for life. When an invalid King's Guard knight is incapable of performing his duties, they are taken up by his sworn brothers. Uh, the knights of the King's Guard are forbidden. Okay, we are. Uh, hit that. Regardless, of the White Swords may retain or grant certain title, titles. Um, tr- 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 skip ahead a little bit here. The first duty of the Kingsguard is defending the king from harm, sworn to obey the king's commands and keep... Okay, this is kind of repetitive here. Sorry, I'm reading off the wiki here. So, uh, The king can decide to extend the protection offered by the Kingsguard to others. Some kings have chosen to extend their protection to their wives, children, other relatives, or even their bastards. Mm-hmm. That's kind of interesting there. Um, Prince Joffrey Baratheon has oh, has Sandor Clegane as a sworn shield, so that is something else. So some people have specifically um, bodyguards. Uh, the Lord Commander of the King's Guard serves on the King's Small Council. When the Small Council is in session, one of the King's Guard always stands guard outside the Council Chambers, while another is usually posted at the end of the bridge uh, into Megor's Holdfast. Uh, then it talks about the Kingsguard wear all white cloaks and uh, intricate suits of armor. Um, some people will have like, you know, fancy helmets and things like that. But only the Kingsguard are allowed to have a white, you know, shield as their coat of arms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it says in this chapter that there's typically seven of yeah. them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, so they're typically the best of the best. Right. You know, so... Which is which is really interesting, and uh, I was watching something. I can't remember if this was Alt Shift X or some, someone else, but talking about uh, the tourney at Harrenhal and how they were coming there uh, to bring Jamie Lannister in as one of their sworn brothers. Mm-hmm. So uh, and that's that was sort of like a it's just like fraternity of like the best of the best knights, you know. Mm-hmm. So swordsmen, whatever it may be. Uh, so yeah, and they rode in tourneys and things like that too. Uh, so. Yeah. Uh, which yeah. is pretty neat. People wanted to see them. Yeah, so you know, yeah, so play so, their yeah. skills. Yeah, so I mean, so you know, raises some questions. As mm-hmm. you know, uh, we we see that uh, I believe at some point Sir Duncan the Tall yeah. was defeated by you know a young Barris and Selmy. So there's not really a whole lot about that, but maybe that's why they're like, okay, maybe Barris and Selmy deserves to be in the King's Guard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. That was sort of the thing is you're, when you're looking for new talent, right, that at these tourneys, I think uh, that's where you would see some of them take on. It's a risk, right? You're putting mm-hmm. you're putting yourself out there. And normally they're pretty good. But, you know, in one tilt, you can do something wrong or your horse goes one way or the other. And, you know, um, yeah, yeah. That, 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 that can happen. And I, and I think even um, Dunk the Lunk w- talked <laughs> about how he was better you know, off of a horse, really. Yeah. And he was, he was more of an on-the-ground type of fighter, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, everybody's got their strengths and things. But, um, yeah, Sir, Bar- Sir Barristan, some, yeah. he's a boss. Yeah, he's, and so then, good. yeah, so, you know, so, I mean, the King's Guard, it's it's cool. And then, you know, there's some other things later where you have, like, the Queen's Guard, and I believe uh, Renly Baratheon has the Rainbow Guard, mm-hmm. which will, yeah. yeah, you know, which, which we'll get to. And then, you know, some things they'd mentioned about, you're not supposed to have wives or children. That obviously is a huge deal with Jamie Lannister mm-hmm. is that, you know, you're, I mean, what, what are you going to do is say no to mm-hmm. this, this type of a, this type of a honor. And then later we see the hound who is not actually a knight, mm-hmm. um, you know, get kind of entered into the, into the, into the King's guard. So. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Um, another thing with that too, like, like at the end of this, we'll see, you know, the idea of why the reason you had in air quotes is that you serve till, till death. Right. Right. I think even if you're old and you're dying and stuff like that, I think you're still there and protected by them, but they've got to fill that position type of mm-hmm. thing. So there's probably something at at the end of your life where, you know, um, I, that they would take care of you, I guess. And, yeah. you know, there's whatever other roles you can yeah. you can have in the in the in the kingdom. But then you Sir can also Barristan be Selmy, though, is basically ousted later yeah. on by by Joffrey, which we'll get to. But I mean, that's so huge. Jamie, right? Doesn't Jamie kick? Doesn't doesn't Joffrey kick Jamie out of the King's Guard? Um, does he? I don't. Um, I can't remember. We'll yeah. get to that. Yeah, we'll get there. Um, I know that. Yeah, later on, he is commander of the of the Lannister forces and stuff. But that's uh, I can't remember if he's still part of the King's Guard or not. Yeah. So, um, okay, so we are on to send a raven. Um, if you'd like to, you can send us a raven at uh, btkcast uh, at gmail.com. And it could be about this episode. It could be about uh, future theories, different things there. We also have a voicemail set up. Uh, and that number is 614-547-2350. Um, our first raven today is from Lady Kelsey of Lethbridge. And Matt, I think you got this one here. Uh, yeah, sorry. Give me one second there. Um do you think as winter comes, they'll add snow effects to the opening credits? If Winterfell gets sacked, do you think they'd add a sacked version for the credits? Uh, in the commentaries, they talk at length about how they're very selective and strategic about the locations which they've created. So that's in that opening kind of mm-hmm. thing where they're showing like tower ri- towers rising and things like that. And um, actually, so something I just saw uh, earlier today was that this last season... Um, they added like they added back the Stark, Stark uh, direwolf to the the Winterfell thing. Okay, and so like, like I said, it wasn't there before. I had never really paid attention enough to notice that, and so people, I was like just kind of looking. I was kind of diving into this, and people were like, "Oh yeah, they added it back in." So there, are, I guess sometimes you're some secrets and some things you can kind of pick up on in the nice. opening and the opening credits. Uh, I do think if it gets sacked, they will. They'll do it if they're very selective about it. I think it'd be cool, but I don't think they would do it right away. I think maybe after, like episode like two or something, they mm-hmm. would they would then do it, and it'd be cool. I'm also interested to see the wall if the if we see the wall this in the opening thing and it's destroyed. Yeah, yeah. And do they do they change those mid season? I don't I don't know, but I I th- because that would be my thing. If they did, then yes, you would see a, a, 
uh, maybe a sacked King or yeah. uh, you know Winterfell or something like that. But might not if they if they don't want to. They they definitely wouldn't give that away before it happens. Yeah, you know. But uh, but afterwards, would they change it? Maybe. Yeah. You know. Uh, yeah. So cool. That, that's cool little tidbit, yeah. and we'll uh, I'm sure we'll be getting uh, updates on you know filming and uh, and all that good stuff and what's going on and trailers yeah. and all that good stuff. Cannot wait. So that was Lady Kelsey of Leth. Is that Left Bridge or Left? I think it's like Left Bridge. Yeah. Oh, I've been saying Left Bridge. I think it's fine either way. All right. Um, so now we have a new. We have a, a Raven from Maester Jamie of the White Owl and Lady Cat of the Woodland Realm. And they say, I think it was actually from from Jamie, um, but uh, we'll, we'll get there. So she says, uh, Dear good sirs, in response to Jane Westerling, I think it is also important to note that the Westerlings, though a small house and not as respected as they used to be, were still a noble house. Yet Rob still decides not to bring her to the fray wedding um, as to not insult them. In the show, the woman Rob marries... Um, is a girl from Essos with nothing really known of her past or her family, where she comes from. Um, but in the show, he decides to bring her to the wedding. An even bigger insult to the phrase, in my opinion. Not really a question, but I was wondering, but I was just thinking how crazy that it was that Rob would do this in the show and how thoughtful and strategic he appeared to be in the book, even though uh, both show Rob both in the show uh, and in the book, Rob dies in the end. So kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, and that is interesting that he would, that the way they kind of um, portrayed that in the show. And it just makes me think that the Westerling family is not really that big of a player and that right. not much happens um, in the book going beyond, forward. Yeah. Going yeah. forward. She's not even Jane Westerling in the show. She's like Tasha something mm-hmm. than like Tasha Stark or, or some or something like that. Yeah, I think it's to show in I think the point they're really trying to hammer home about Rob in the show is that he's kind of careless. Mm-hmm. Um and that I think you know, like in the in the show I think they really try to to show exactly how the kinds of decisions you make are what cost you in the Game of Thrones. And so you see, like, Rob is very careless. Ned Stark is too honorable. You know, you kind of have to almost do everything just enough, but not enough, you know, mm-hmm. but not but not enough. And so some people are able to live through those mistakes, like Sansa. Um, you know, Jon Snow actually dies from it, but then is, you know, thankfully resurrected. Right. But I think that's just, I think that's kind of the point. So I think that's really why they did it in the show. Yeah, and, and, and to... Um to Mr. Jamie and, and, and Lady Cat's point, the uh, idea that Rob is very, the, the young wolf is very strategic and very thoughtful and outmaneuvers uh, Tywin Lannister, mm-hmm. you know, and then to make a mistake like that in the show was almost um, an insult to, not really an insult, but it was just kind of like, it's uh, better yeah. in the book, you know, yeah. the idea that he would save his, his wife from that and they would think that it would be an insult, etc. And they wouldn't, picked that up in the show so yeah again it was just uh i think instead of seeing this idea that she would have the potion and she'd be drinking it and then her child would be lost they just kind of lumped it all in there it's really for to get through the story and to to clip that thread and yeah you only have some you only have so much time in the yeah in the show too and then you know it's also 
you know, to their point about him being really strategic, it's not just that, oh, he dies from bringing her. It's that then Catelyn's like, I need you to get up and leave right now. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't do it. And mm-hmm. that's what really ends up costing him. Right. Yeah. Yep. So uh, they also have another question for next week when we get to the uh, Danny chapter. So we will bring that uh, back uh, when we get to that chapter. I thought it'd be more appropriate to to save it, but it's a really good question just about mm-hmm. uh, the relationships between Danny and Cal and uh, Cal Drogo. So we'll and again, kinda, that's kind of different uh, about the differences between the show and the book. So right, we'll get to that. Yeah. Yep. So we'll save that. All right, so we're on to Man the Wall. Basically, this is our invite to uh, Patreon. I just want you to join the discussion um, with us at facebook.com forward slash bend the knee podcast. Uh, We're going to continue to do our food reviews, our exclusive um, Patreon uh, exclusive podcast. And you guys can sign up there. Uh, We'll make you a sigil. Matt will hit you guys up on Facebook for a sigil. Mm -hmm. Um, You can send us your words and your your, um, your title and all that good stuff. We're actually even getting to the point where people are creating backstories, and we might share some of those backstories uh, in a in a follow up Friday or something, and kind of talk about where everybody is. Maybe even create a map and put people on a map. Yeah. You know, with their house and and relationship to other houses. Uh, You know, and it's all it's fictional. It's just us kind of. uh, It's. Yeah. Is it fictional though? No. no. It's real. It's real. Yeah. So, you know. So we'll see. That's that's gonna be fun. We're doing our first HBO to book comparison, as Matt uh, mentioned earlier. And uh, yeah. So hit us up there on um, Facebook and hit us up on patreon.com forward slash bend the knee. Yeah, so we want to thank you for playing the Game of Thrones. In the next episode, we will be discussing chapter nine Tyrion. All right. Thanks, guys, so much. We appreciate it. If you like our podcast, don't forget to subscribe, like us, write a review, or leave a comment, or send us a raven at btkcast at gmail.com. And we will see you in a week. And remember that a Lannister always pays his debts.